On the first day of the week, very early in the morning, the women took the spices they had prepared and went to the tomb. They found the stone rolled away from the tomb. But when they entered, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were wondering about this, suddenly two men in clothes that gleamed like lightning stood beside them. In their fright, the women bowed down with their faces to the ground. But the men said to them, Why do you look for the living among the dead? He is not here. He is risen. Remember how he told you while he was still with you in Galilee, the Son of Man must be delivered over to the hands of sinners, be crucified, and on the third day be raised again? Then they remembered his words. When they came back from the tomb, they told all these things to the eleven and to all the others. It was Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Mary the mother of Jesus, and the others with them who told this to the apostles. But they did not believe the women because their words seemed to them like nonsense. Peter, however, got up and ran to the tomb. Bending over, he saw the strips of linen lying by themselves, and he went away wondering to himself what had happened. This is the word of God. Amen. Amen. Let's give Vince a hand for reading the word. Morning, everyone. Happy Easter. It's uh, great to be with you all. Great to see so many uh, new faces, people I haven't met before. Uh, We're glad to have you with us. Um, just want to give a disclaimer. I don't normally wear it as often as you see the Easter bunny, but um, uh, it's Easter, right? So got to look nice. Uh, does anyone just get random stuff in the mail? Yes. Yeah, like some stuff you're like, how in the world did that even like end up in my box? Um, I, and some of it's like, you know, like you got pre-approved for stuff you didn't apply for. Um, and you didn't want. Um, so you just like rip that up, throw it away. Lately, I've been getting REI points for someone else. <laughs> and, and I'm like really tempted because I love REI. <laughs> um, but I want you to imagine for a second, you received a letter in the mail this week. And it was on official stationery. It's from an attorney's office, official stationery. And it said that there's this long lost relative you never met, never knew about. Um, and had just passed away, and their last will and testament, they had left you millions of dollars. Everyone imagining that with me? Right? So, <laughs> so you'd be skeptical, right? I, I hope you would be skeptical, <laughs> right? You can't just believe all those uh, letters and emails that you get. But you'd look into it. <laughs> Am I right? You'd look into it. Why would you look into it? Because the offer is so great that you would just be crazy to not at least look into it and inspect if it's really true. Um, Because I could use a million, few million dollars. Anyone, right? Could buy like half a house here in San Diego. Um, But the the, the same thing is true with the resurrection. So Easter, we're here celebrating Easter. Um, Easter is all about the resurrection of Jesus which is one of the central truths of the Christian faith, on which our our whole faith as Christians is built on. And the offer of the resurrection, the offer that we have, that our worldview, that our faith says is, is for us because of the resurrection, is so great that even if you're skeptical, and it's okay to be skeptical, 
as we're going to look at in a little bit. You need to at least look into it. Because it's not just this ethereal, like, oh, we're going to go to heaven someday. It's going to be dreamy and misty, and there's a fog machine in heaven. And... <laughs> no, but the, the offer that, that the Bible and the scriptures talk about is a new body, a renewed world, a, a, a relationship with God where we're walking with God forever, right? So this offer is so amazing that you have to look into it. And I think it's, it's worth noting that today Christians are celebrating what we believe a, really happened, a real resurrection. I think that culturally, a lot of times we think, oh, it's, a, you know, it's probably a myth or it's a good story that makes you feel good. You know, it's an inspirational story. But we celebrate an empty tomb because he's actually risen. Amen. And I know that it, uh, today, you know, we're coming from all kinds of backgrounds. We've got people who grew up in church. You've heard so many Easter sermons. Like, you could probably tell me your age by how many Easter sermons that you've heard. And then, and then we've got people who are here today, and it's like, you only hear Easter sermons, because that's, that's the only sermon you're going to go hear. And then you've got other people who are like, I didn't, I didn't know Easter was about the resurrection. I just knew it was something that Christians did, and there's, there's eggs and bunnies. But Christians believe in a real resurrection, and because we believe in a real resurrection, we have a real hope. That, that our faith is so built on this fact that, there, that the Bible itself says, if there's no resurrection, if only for this life we have hope in Christ, we should be pitied more than all people. And it's saying we, Christians. We should be pitied above all because we've built our lives on a lie. And it goes on and says, if there's no resurrection, if there's no hope for us rising like Jesus rose, then let's eat and drink, for tomorrow we die. Those are in 1 Corinthians. But there is a resurrection. And if there is a resurrection, because it's real, we have real hope. And I would argue today that, that Christian hope, the hope we have, is based in reason and received by faith. You guys catch that? It's based in reason and received by faith. Because I think many in our culture have uh, kind of a false dichotomy that there are people that need evidence and people that uh, believe in science. And then there are people who, um, if you're going to be a Christian, you just have to decide to believe. You just have to have blind faith. Like there's not really any proof or logic in there. It's kind of like we divorce the logic and the faith. But I, I would argue that the hope that Christians have is based in reason and received by faith. And this kind of thing is important to me because I have a Christian background and I have a science background. I'm, I'm the preacher with a biology degree, not a Bible degree. I don't, I don't know if a lot of you guys knew that. But I grew up in a Christian home and, and a very devout family. And there's probably no way up until the age of 17 that I wouldn't have believed in Jesus. But I had a major faith crisis when I was 18 or 19. I had all kinds of doubts, asking all kinds of questions. I didn't know if I could trust this book, and I didn't know if I would still believe in God. I didn't know if I was still going to be a Christian. But, but as I sought for answers, and by God's grace, he brought me through that to now I have a faith that's my own. And I know, and I know it's, I know, for me, I know it's real, because I needed a faith that makes sense in the real world. I, I can't stand on something that's just made up or arbitrary or just sounds good, right? Uh, you know, if it's a myth, right, a myth can give you entertainment. 
a, a myth can make you feel better, but a myth can't give you real hope in this world. Because I know we live in a broken world and we need hope. But I don't just want a hope that sounds good. I want a hope that makes sense. I need a hope tied to something. So Christianity involves rationality. It involves thinking. It's definitely more than thinking, but it's certainly not less than thinking. All right? And in reality, if your faith in Christ isn't full of reasoning and thinking, it's not going to last the test that life brings you. How many know that life is going to bring you tests? So today I want to look at uh, some of the reasoning of the resurrection and, 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 um, and then I want to look at the hope that we have as Christians because of that resurrection. Is that all right? Yeah. All right. Let's get into it. We got about an hour and a half left. <laughs> according, according to Vince. <laughs> Woo! Somebody doesn't have a roast going. There you go. All right. All right, so let's, let's, look at this, uh, let's look at this. First of all, with the text we read, um, uh, I want to look at the, some of the reasoning into the resurrection and, and why you can just know that Christians aren't just absolutely crazy, all right? I want you to first notice that the text that Vince read earlier, uh, the women who went to the tomb were, were going to finish anointing his body, and they were not expecting to find an empty tomb. It says that when they got there, they were wondering what had happened. All right, so does everyone see that? Right? And then when Peter found out, he walked away wondering what happened. He didn't walk away saying, Jesus rose again. We have hope forever. No, I want you to see that they were skeptical. That even the people who began to proclaim the resurrection in the beginning, they didn't have hope. They were despondent. They were skeptical. But something happened to change their minds. What is it that happened? It, well, it's, for them, it was overwhelming evidence. And I believe as we look at um, a few of these things today, maybe it'll at least um, get your wheels to start turning about this. Because the resurrection of Jesus is such a unique historical event. It actually happened in history. If you think about it, they start claiming that Jesus rose from the dead in the city that killed him. In Jerusalem. So much, and it's a disputed fact in history, Right? This is like the most disputed fact in history. This is more than like, who killed JFK? Like, is Tupac still alive? I don't know. Right? Way more than that. I'm being a little comical, but way more than that. And there's so much historical, circumstantial evidence around it that whole volumes of study by people who don't believe have gone in to say, well, what did happen? Because something happened. Because the question is not, was the tomb empty or not? It's, why was the tomb empty? And the question is not, was his body gone or not? It was, why was the body gone? What happened? All right, so um, if you're with me, we'll go through a few of the main theories, and then I want to look at a few main evidences, and then we'll, we'll get going into the Christian hope. Is that cool? Yes. All right. So first of all, here's one of the main theories that you'll find um, into why the body was missing, and that's called the wrong tomb theory. And this is basically just, it was dark, right? It's before um, sunrise, and the, the theory is that the women were walking, and they're, they're distraught, they're sorrowful, they've lost their, um, uh, their teacher, their great rabbi, and they went to the wrong tomb, right? And then they saw it was empty, and like, well, this doesn't make any sense, right? Maybe. 
Maybe, you know. Um, I've gotten lost in the dark. <laughs> no GPS, right? You don't have your iPhone, like, just the right tomb. Um, but, but if you put some weight on this, there, there, uh, so first of all, from, from all the accounts, at least two of those women had seen the place where he was buried. So if they're walking to it and one's like, no, it's this way, they're going to correct each other, right? Secondly, is Peter who runs up, is he also going to run to the wrong tomb? And John also going to run to the wrong tomb? And everyone else in the city of Jerusalem? If they were at the wrong tomb, and, 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 and uh, don't get me wrong, the Romans didn't like this, and the, and the religious authorities didn't like this teaching that Jesus raised from the dead. All they would have had to say is, hey guys, morons, this is the right tomb. <laughs> Quit preaching that he rose again, all right? So put a little bit of weight on it. I want to look at the next theory. This is kind of two theories in one. It's the stolen, stolen body or removed body. And this is a theory that thieves uh, stole the body. And secondly, that, um, that the disciples removed the body so that they could preach that he rose again. Right? Maybe. Again, maybe. Um, there's a lot of thought that have, have gone into these, but there's a few pushbacks too. First of all, there's no motives that we know of for why, no motives or evidence that thieves took the body, first of all. Secondly, if they did take the body, why would they leave the, the linen and spices, which was the most expensive part, and kept the body from stinking? If they were disciples, why would they disgrace the body and take it naked? And is it likely that all of the Roman guards guarding the tomb would have fallen asleep at the same time? And if they didn't fall asleep, how did the women get past the guards and the disciples get past the guards and move the large boulder we tracking? And then, even if the disciples somehow did steal him so that they could say, you know what, he said he was going to rise from the dead, so we have to preach that he rose from the dead. Let's take his body, right? Even if they did that, they didn't just preach the resurrection, guys. They suffered for the resurrection. Every single one of, in Jesus' closest circle died a gruesome, torturous death. The apostle John was boiled alive in hot oil and he didn't die so they exiled him to an island of Patmos because they were freaked out. Do you think that all of them and, and all of their families are not going to recant if they made it up? If they're covering up for something that didn't happen? No, John Stott says this, hypocrites and martyrs are not made of the same stuff. It's not the same stuff. The major theory, this is one of the, the biggest theories, it's called the swoon theory. This, this, it's, it's this. So swoon is like fainting, right? So this theory is that Jesus didn't die, but under the excruciating pain on the cross that he, um, that he fainted, uh, passed out, right, from all the pain, and then was laid in the grave, and then um, in the grave he revived, and then left the tomb, and then met up with the disciples. Um, and, um, you know, there's some, some people that have said that there's Civil War graves that they've found, you know, they've excavated and they've seen, like, evidence of the, of the soldiers who had passed out and yet came to in the grave and had tried to scratch their way out and stuff like that. So, um, I just wanted to terrify you a little bit. <laughs> right? But I, I don't want to, like, I, I guess I want to, I'm not trying to mock these theories. I'm wanting you to say that there's major thought that's gone into these, all right? 
And, and, and as a Christian, I believe all truth is God's truth. So if something is true, then that's what we need to look for, right? So that's the swoon theory, but I want to propose a few things. First of all, the Romans were pros at killing people, right? And crucifixion was their favorite way to do it. They were pros. The centurion, the, 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 the Roman military, one in charge, made sure and reported to Pilate that he's dead. We stabbed him in the side and saw blood and water run out. He is dead. I, I just want to read you a quote right here because I think I was reading a book called Basic Christianity. It's an amazing book. I recommend it. If you're not a Christian, if you are a Christian, go read it. It's by John Stott. But if, this is kind of a long quote, but uh, we have it up there and you can read with me, everyone. Good? Because I think this says it best, better than I could say it. Are we then seriously to believe that Jesus was all the time only in a swoon? That after the rigors and pains of trial, mockery, flogging, and crucifixion, he could survive 36 hours in a stone sepulcher, that's the grave, with neither warmth, nor food, nor medical care? That he could then rally sufficiently to perform the superhuman feat of shifting the boulder which secured the mouth of the tomb and then without disturbing the Roman guard that was there to make sure no one took the body. Without disturbing the Roman guard and then weak and sickly and hungry. The Bible says he was beaten beyond recognition. That he could then appear to the disciples in such a way to give them the impression that he had vanquished death. Hey guys, I beat death. <laughs> right? Right? They're going to be, you think about it. They love him. They're going to be doing his medical care. They're going to be dressing his wounds. He's going to convince them, I rose from the dead. And then he could go on to claim that he had died and risen and send them into all the world and promise to be with them until the end of time. And then he could live somewhere in hiding for 40 days and just make occasional surprise appearances. Hey, I'm risen. And then finally disappear without any explanation. Such credulity is more incredible than Thomas's unbelief. It's basically, it, it, here's the thing. The theories can't hold weight. You just push on them a little bit with the historical and biblical evidence and they, they collapse. And at some point I feel like we're, we're just more into the realm of trying not to believe something than actually trying to explain what happened. But there, it's not only the theories I want to talk about, but there is historical and biblical evidence for the resurrection as well. And if you all have time for that, which I'm assuming you do, you're still, you're still sitting down. Um, we'll go through a few of those. Does that sound all right? All right. So the first one I want, I want to note is that women were the first witnesses of the resurrection. <laughs> Wow, that was, a, that was a strong amen. I mean, I wasn't expecting that amen. All right, so yes. Women were the first witnesses of the resurrection in every single one of the four gospel accounts. Oh, hallelujah. Is that... Oh, Daniela's over here. Okay. I'm sure. Oh. You can't plan that. that was... <laughs> All right. So where were we? Right. So here, here's, why, here's why I want you to know that that's significant. 
even within the Bible's account, all right? So there was a guy named Celsus who was a, a Greek philosopher in the second century, so the 100s, and he hated Christianity, and he wrote one of the first uh, really well-thought-out intellectual attacks on Christianity. And he had a lot of different arguments, but one of them was this, and I just want to prepare you, like, get ready for this. This is going to sound a little offensive to our ears, um, but we can handle it, okay? <laughs> it's not that bad, all right? <laughs> so I feel like I prepared you for something really bad. Actually, no, it is bad. But um, <laughs> No, he's, he basically made the argument, how can anyone expect rational men to listen to the testimony of a, quote, hysterical female? Right? Hey, I, hey, I didn't say that, right? But here, all right, so why would he say that? Why could he say that? Well, one, he lived in a time that we would call misogynist right? And the status of women was much, much lower in that time. And if you look at the history around it, that even the testimony of women was not accepted in court, right? So that's the time he lived in. And like I said, all four gospel accounts say that the first witnesses were women. So in that time, in the second century, this was an Achilles heel argument sort of thing. He's basically saying, why would we believe that? We don't even believe this in court, right? But for us and for historians now when we look at it, it's not an Achilles heel argument because you look at that and you say, why on earth would anyone, if you wanted to prove and invent the resurrection, there's no way that you would make all of the first witnesses women in that century. The only, historians will say that the only plausible reason for why you would make them all women is if they actually were. (laughs) And they actually were the first witnesses of him rising from the dead. That's one of the things I love about the Bible. You'll see a little bit later that it does not, it does not um, hide or smooth or gloss over. Later we're going to go into some of the heroes of the Bible and it doesn't gloss over their, their mistakes and their flaws. And that's why the Bible even speaks more to me because I know that I have mistakes and flaws. Amen? All right, so that's one of the first uh, uh, evidences. The second one, that there were eyewitness accounts. And not just one or two, and not just one prophet alone who saw Jesus and then came and, and then described him to us. No, but if you, if you read 1 Corinthians in the Bible, it's a public document about 20 years after the resurrection happened. And, and Paul is writing this letter, and he goes into, in chapter 15, he describes Jesus appeared to this person, and this person, and this person. Hundreds of eyewitnesses. There was 500 at one time. And he says for a few of them, this is where they live. And basically in that century, that's the way of saying, go ask them because a lot of them are still alive. All right? So how can you do that? <laughs> how can you do that if you've got eyewitnesses who are still alive and when they preach the resurrection, they're not getting money and power like people say. They're getting, they're suffering. They're getting thrown in prison. They're getting put to death because they preach the resurrection. 500 at one time. All right, if you commit a crime and I have one witness, you might go to jail. I don't know. You might go to prison. Now, if I have 500, (laughs) um, you're going to prison. (laughs) I'll see you later, right? And yet, 500 at one time, eyewitnesses of Jesus. We don't have evidence. We don't have scientific evidence of group hallucinations happening like that and everyone seeing the same person and hearing the same words. It's unheard of. But yet you've got people who are staking their lives on the fact that it's true. 
The last one that I want to look at as an evidence before we move to the hope we have as Christians is James, the brother of Jesus. Did anyone know Jesus had brothers? No? No and yes? Okay. Got a few no's. Good. Now you know Jesus had brothers. Um, when Jesus was, was walking the earth during his ministry, his brothers didn't believe in him. They didn't believe he was who he said he was. And, and some of his brothers even mocked him. Right? But James is one of the brothers of Jesus. And if you're a Christian, we say half-brother, right? Because, because Jesus was born of Mary and of the Holy Spirit. But he's the brother of Jesus. And we see James later becomes a believer and even a main leader in the church of Jerusalem. The main church. So, um, uh, wow. Um, how do you convince your brother that you're the son of God? <laughs> Anyone have siblings? <laughs> Try that one out, right? Hey, what's up, Kenny? Oh, I'm not Kenny. I'm the son of God. <laughs> see, how, see how that one goes over, right? But something has happened to James, who wasn't a believer, and now he is praying to his brother, worshiping his brother, leading people to faith in his brother, a leader in the church. The risen Lord appeared to James. 1 Corinthians, I mentioned earlier, talks about it. There's a quote from a Japanese writer, Shusaku Endo. Sorry if I messed up that name. Shusaku Endo. He wrote uh, the book Silence, which is the recent film that Martin Scorsese uh, released. Listen to this quote. If you don't believe in the resurrection, you'll be forced to believe that what did hit the disciples was some other amazing event, different in kind yet of equal force to its electrifying intensity. What's saying is, if you don't believe that Jesus rose from the grave, You've got to believe that something else like that and as powerful as that happened because of everything that happened afterward. Does that make sense? And the rest of the quote, he says, if we try to explain the changed lives of the early Christians, we may find ourselves making leaps of faith as great as if we believed in the resurrection itself. All I'm saying with this part of the message is, look into it. Look into it. It's not just wishful thinking. It's not just made up. I can't prove the resurrection to you, but I would say you can't prove to me that it didn't happen. Look into it. Think about it. If you don't believe you can join the world and you can pity Christians. But if you do begin to believe, you're going to have access to the hope that Christians have that has changed the world for the past 2,000 years. You're going to have access to hope for a new way of living you're going to have access uh, to hope to face the struggles that life will inevitably bring against you. And you're going to have access to hope even when you die. Amen? Amen. Amen. So those are the, those are the um, uh, pictures of hope that I want to look at. I want to look at those, um, just a few little quick stories on each of those before we come to a close. Is that all right? All right. First one is... Uh, hope for new life. And I want to look at uh, one of the disciples. He was an apostle named Peter. And um, I have the scripture, but 
just for the sake of time, I'm not going to read it. I'll tell you where it is, and you can go read it and study it yourself. But Acts 2 is the day of Pentecost, and this is after Jesus has risen again. And Peter is standing in Jerusalem with a crowd of thousands of people, and he's preaching to them, and he's boldly saying that God has made Jesus the Messiah, that means Savior, and Lord. God has raised him from the dead, and he's made Jesus both Messiah and Lord, and you can be saved if you repent of sins, and you believe in Jesus, and you'll be filled with the Holy Spirit. Amen. And that's, that's at the heart of the Christian message. But I want you to see something about Peter, because only 45 or 50 days earlier, just rewind in time, 45 to 50 days, and Peter is in excruciating sorrow. Do you know why? Because he denied ever knowing Jesus. Three times, publicly in the same night. He even cursed at the person who was accusing him. Oh, you know Jesus. No, I don't know. And now he's denied the Lord on the night that Jesus is crucified, and he's weeping by himself bitterly and in sorrow. And now, a few weeks later, he's standing up in the same city that killed Jesus with some of the same people there, and he's saying, God has raised him from the dead, and you can have new life. You can be forgiven of sins. There's water. Baptism. Uh, You can be forgiven of sins. Something changed in Peter's life. Do you see that? And that is the hope that we have in the Christian faith. That even though, has anyone felt ashamed of something you did? Have you felt, you know you've done something gone wrong or, or, or maybe you, you've done something wrong or something's been to you to feel that shame, to feel like you're far from God? And, and the gospel is, hey, all of us have felt that and know that. That all of us have sinned. The Bible's word for that is sin. When we, when we take uh, God and him being the creator and we want to live for ourselves and make up our own rules and basically be our own God. That's what sin is. I want to live my way. I know that you created me, but I'm going to do my own thing here. Thanks for life and everything, right? But the, the Bible, the, the Christian worldview in the Bible says that that's sin when we rebel against God. And yet what, what Jesus did on the cross was not just dying wrongfully and not just suffering and it was gruesome. It was all those things, but he was dying for our sins in our place. The Bible says that he became sin who knew no sin that we might become the righteousness of God. What does that mean? It means that he took our punishment so we could have his reward. That he was separated from God on the cross because of my sin and your sin so that we could be drawn in and experience new life with God. We could be forgiven. And the resurrection is proof that our sins are fully and freely forgiven forever. If Jesus didn't rise from the dead, we've got no proof. I don't have any proof that he beat my sin. If he didn't rise from the dead, as far as I know, my sin beat him. And death beat him because he's still in the grave. But he rose again, and so we have hope for new life. And that hope today is for you, every single one of you. I don't care if you've heard it a thousand times. It's your first time to hear it. You have hope for a new life to be forgiven in Jesus. And the cross is his declaration of love for you, that he was willing to be put up there for you and for your sins and for everything you've done wrong against God. And the resurrection is his declaration of power for you, that sin can't hold you down. 
and that you don't have to live in shame. You don't have to live in bondage. That's all right. Oh, man, we just turned Pentecostal. We had, we had clapping in the middle of a sermon. Uh-oh. No, that's all right. That's all right. If, if, if you're hearing that hope, that hope is real for you. That's why we celebrate the resurrection. That's why we, that's why we sing. That's why we talk about Jesus being risen because it's, we felt that new hope in our life. We felt that sin be taken away and divorced from us and, and God's love just wash over us time and time again. And if you're here today and you haven't felt that, I want you to feel that. Romans 10 says, if, if we declare with our mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in our heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. And you can begin that relationship with God today. Amen. Amen. This next picture of hope, because the hope that we have is not just, it is for forgiveness of sins. It is for a new life, a new way of living, but it's not just that. It's even a hope for every struggle that you're going to face in life. For every bit of suffering that we face in life. How many know that suffering is going to come our way? This is not a matter of if, but it's a matter of when and what type. But that's part of our human experience. And one, things I one thing I love about the Christian faith is that it doesn't brush over suffering. I don't want a faith that ignores suffering. I don't want a hope that can't actually give me hope for the suffering that I have faced and will face in my life. Does that make sense? And many say that the problem of, of suffering in the world and the problem of evil is one of the things that keeps them from saying that God exists. I can't believe in a God that would allow this to happen to my family. I can't believe in a God that would allow the world to be this broken. But when we look at the cross, here's the thing. There's no worldview that you have is going to have easy answers for suffering, for why we suffer. No one is. But I will say this about the Christian worldview. When you look at the cross, when you look at the Son of God, God in the flesh, who who never sinned, but yet came and lived among us and showed us what real living is like. And then even though he was perfect, he died for our imperfections. When you see him bleeding up there for you, you may not know why suffering exists, but you know it can't be because he doesn't love you. You know it can't, all the things that you're going through, it can't be because he doesn't care. Because why would God himself come to save you and do it through suffering for you? beautiful picture of this and again I'm not going to read the scripture for time it's in Acts 26 as a Paul he's an apostle he's preaching the gospel and he's been put on trial for his faith and he's standing in chains and he's speaking to a Roman uh, governor and a king that are present Festus and Agrippa and they brought him in because they want to hear about the Christian faith they're curious and so he's telling them um, you know all the prophets said that this would happen Moses said this would happen that the Messiah would suffer and then he would rise from the dead and he would bring the message of light to all the world, right? And then uh, Festus says, um, Paul, you're out of your mind. <laughs> he says, all your learning is making you go insane. And he says, what I am saying is true and reasonable. So I want you to see for 2,000 years people have been saying Christians are insane, <laughs> right? Right? 
And what makes it even more powerful is that Paul used to not believe in Jesus. And he actually used to take mothers and fathers and put them into prison for believing in Jesus. He participated in Christians being killed for their faith in Jesus. And yet now he's in chains because he, he has had an encounter with Jesus and he believes and is preaching it. And now he's in the presence of kings and saying this. And he says to the king, you, 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 you know what I'm talking about. You believe this stuff, right? And the king says, you think you're going to make me a Christian so quickly? And Paul says this, Short time or long, I pray to God that not only you, but all who are listening to me today may become what I am, except for these chains. <laughs> I love that he threw in that last part. <laughs> he could stand in, in prison for his faith. I, I would be a little depressed. But he can have such joy in that sort of suffering that he would stand and say to a king and everyone in the king's court, it's my desire that all of you would be like me. Except for this, I don't want you to have chains on. But I want you to have this joy in my heart no matter what suffering you go through. Amen? Here's why I'm saying all this. As Christians, the resurrection gives us a hope and a joy that we can literally face anything life throws at us. If, if your marriage is on the rocks, if your kids are going crazy, if, you're, if you lost your job recently or you lost your living situation or, or you're being sued for something you didn't do or you're in prison or whatever it may be, there is hope for you in the resurrection because in the resurrection we know that that situation doesn't have the last word over you. Jesus does. And even death couldn't beat him. So that situation won't beat you. So you can smile. You can have, yes, you can feel pain. I'm not saying you ignore the pain. That, Jesus didn't ignore the pain on the cross. But he faced the cross looking forward to the joy set before him that he could offer resurrection and hope to all, to whosoever would. Amen? So as Christians, we rejoice and we celebrate the resurrection because we have hope for facing the struggles in life. Only Jesus can give us that hope because only he has overcome death and the grave. The last picture of hope I want to briefly look at is a, a, a man, he was a martyr um, in, the, in the second century. He's the first martyr recorded outside of the New Testament. And his name was Polycarp. Um, and that sounds like a fish. Um, but it's not. Um, there's some fishermen present here today. Um, but he, he was a Christian his whole life, and, and, but he, wasn't, he didn't really run into persecution from the Roman government until he was 86. 86-year-old Christian, he's arrested for his faith, and he's put on trial for serving and loving Jesus, and he's sentenced to be burned at the stake. And so when they... When, uh, when the Romans try to nail him to the stake in the ground, he, he refuses the nails. And uh, it's not because they're going to hurt. I want to read you this quote. He says this, Leave me as I am, for he who grants me to endure the fire will enable me also to remain on the pyre unmoved without the security you desire from nails. So he stood by the stake, not nailed there, and they set his body on fire, and he burned to death, and, 
And eyewitnesses says that he prayed aloud while he died. I know that story is extreme, but I want to I tell you something. If the resurrection is true, the hope it gives us is more powerful than any bit of suffering or death this whole world can throw on you. It doesn't just give us a hope for new life now and a hope for facing all the stuff we're going through, but at the end of our lives, Christians have a hope that the end is not the end. That, the, that death, the thing that we all have fears about, and maybe you don't want to think about it, but, but Christians have hope that death is passing into being with God forever. That that's what our hope is. And that that hope is so powerful that it could move Polycarp to say those words and to be praying as he, uh, as he was killed. Because here's the thing, y'all. Death is the great equalizer. I hate to be... Uh, <laughs> uh, I know it's Easter, but... Uh, <laughs> we're all going to die. <laughs> the elephant in the room, right? (laughs) I'm going to die one day. You're going to die one day. Some of us sooner or later and none of us know when. We're all going to die. And I'm going to say that the, the, I think one of the prevailing cultural ideas around death right now is is materialism. And it's that this life is all that there is, right? And that when I die, that's it. Lights out. Hasta la vista. Except no la vista, right? It's like, I'm not going to see you later, right? But if this life is all there is, there's not really hope in death in that worldview. But I want to challenge you that there's not even, I don't think, is there really hope in life in that worldview? And come with me for a second. If this is the case, if, there's, if this is all there is and humanity is all there is, right, and we rise and fall on our own bootstraps, Humanity is one day, if you ask scientists, humanity is one day going to go extinct. We're all going to die. One day the planet's going to burn out. The sun, however many millions of years, is going to burn out. And then the universe is going to collapse in on itself. And then there's going to be no one to remember you or your life or whether you were a good person or a bad person, whether you tried to save the whales or didn't or whether you were good to your parents or not, or whether you were good to your spouse or not, or whether you were a good citizen, no one's going to remember it. And it's not going to count in the eternal scope of things. If that's the case, then why does anything matter? Let's do what the scripture says and eat and drink for tomorrow we die. Let's just live it up and do the best we can because that's all we have the hope for. Even the Bible would agree with you if that was the case. But it's not the case. And I'm pleading with you to say yes to the hope that Jesus is offering you. That it's not the case. That there is hope even in death. That the end of 1 Corinthians says, Where, O death, is your victory? Where, O death, is your sting? Death has been swallowed up in victory. The sting of death is sin and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, he gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. And the last verse says this, Therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, stand firm. Let nothing move you. Always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord. It's saying live all out. 
Live like Jesus did, sacrificing yourself to bless other people. Live for others. Live for God's glory. Do everything fully to the work of the Lord. Why? Because you know that your labor is not in vain. That what you do here will last for eternity. And that if your hope is in Jesus here, you will enjoy him for eternity. That's the beautiful hope that we have. The resurrection truth gives us hope, even in death, that death is not something to be afraid of or to ignore until it's time to die, but we can look forward to it when the time comes as passing into life with God forever. That's a hope that even being burned to the stake, nothing can beat that hope out of you. Nothing that you'll face in life or in death. Amen? I'll close with this. I, I can, um, I know I'm really red, but I can argue until I'm blue in the face. <laughs> um, and, but but argue, arguing, and, and you may have some points, and I may have some points and whatever else, but I'm not going to argue you into being a Christian. It's not going to happen. And I can describe and tell you the hope that we have because we believe in Jesus. And I can tell you how beautiful it is and how it makes sense for Christians. And maybe it explains a little bit of why, at least the good things that you've seen Christians do, why they would do that, why they would live that way. Why? And if you're a Christian here, maybe it inspires that hope within you. And it reminds you of something that you've known but is just coming awake right now. But at the end of the day, even if you uh, think that hope sounds good, you're not going to have that hope for yourself until you receive it by faith. A Christian hope is based in reason and received by faith. I think without this hope, uh, we're kind of like uh, the women in our text that are, that are there and it's dark and they're looking for Jesus. They're looking for answers. They're wondering, but the angel says to them, why do you look for the living among the dead? We're looking for answers in a world full of death. But the answers aren't in the tomb. They're not in the cemetery. They're in Jesus. He is not here. He is risen. Thomas. Thomas the doubter. Y'all ever heard of him? Great last name, huh? (laughs) Thomas the doubter. Um, That wasn't really his last name. Uh, But he's one of the twelve... And the others had all seen Jesus resurrected and he hadn't seen Jesus. And they were trying to convince him. And he said, until I see him and until I touch the scars in his side and his hands, I won't believe. This is in the book of John chapter 20. I think a lot of us had that same objection. Okay, it sounds likely, but I don't know how I can make that leap. But in John 20, Jesus appears to him. All of a sudden, Jesus comes and appears to Thomas with the others there. And Thomas believes so much that he says, my Lord and my God. That he worships him as God. This is something that in in part of the Jewish religion you would never do, worship a person. And yet Thomas is moved to so much belief that he worships Jesus. And Jesus responds with this. In John chapter 20, he says this, Because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen me and yet have believed. Today, I invite you to look into it. Look into the reasoning. 
look into the hope, but most of all, I invite you to be one of the many who are blessed, who even though we haven't seen, we have believed and we have experienced a real hope in Jesus. Amen? Amen. Let's pray, and then I want to give a, a few instructions for the rest of our time together, all right? Yeah, the band can come up if you want to. Father, I thank you for what a beautiful day uh, it is today. I thank you for this Easter Sunday that, that we set aside to celebrate you, God, to celebrate the glory of God, of your story, God, the hope that you give us, Jesus, that has um, been passed on through generation after generation after generation, that, that no matter how many times the world has tried to stamp out the hope in Christians, that your hope rings true in our souls, God. And I pray that today as I've talked, maybe there's people here who are skeptical. I pray that they would begin to look into, hey, what is this about? Is this hope real? And I pray that um, if there are there, those here who are seeking, that they, if there's faith rising in their heart, you said that, that none of us come to you except that you draw us, Lord. And so I know that, Holy Spirit, you're drawing people right now. I pray that, that they would come to you and say, Lord, uh, I think I believe. I believe. I believe you rose again. I believe you died for my sins. I want to start this relationship, this new life with you. And I pray that that would happen today. God, even as I'm talking right now, that you would bring faith to hearts. And I pray for those here who are Christians and have been living with this hope. I pray that it would be dusted off and brushed off, God, and that today they would know that there are so many reasons to celebrate. Even though we get bogged down with all the things that we go through, Christians don't have an easier life than anyone else. We go through things, Lord, but we have an unending hope, Lord, that can sustain us even right now today. So Lord, we thank you for that hope. We thank you for the resurrection. We celebrate today. I pray that you would move in these next few minutes as we respond to your word and you would bless this time. Lord, we love you and we thank you. We ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen, amen.